Music is central to our well-being. If you're listening here, chances are you feel the same. The Classical Post podcast uncovers the creativity that exists behind great music. We believe music is interconnected with other art forms and life experiences. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, but is often influenced by other sources. No matter who you are, cultivating your creativity is fundamental to being better in business and living a more holistic life. Discover more on this podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Eifert. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you find something valuable in this episode. How does a storied summer music festival thrive in the 21st century, especially one located in a town best known for its 19th century gilded glamour and magnificent mansions? For Newport Classical's executive director, Gillian Friedman Fox, it's all about finding ways to respect history and tradition while forging new paths for access and inclusion. Beginning July 1st, the 2022 edition of Newport Classical will showcase 32 artists and ensembles in 24 performances across 11 of the town's most beautiful venues, including the iconic Breakers, the summer cottage of the Gilded Age's famous Vanderbilt family. But under Friedman Fox's leadership, Newport Classical isn't just about fabulous locations and big-name performers. It's about shining a light on underrepresented artists who deserve a wider audience. This summer's programming offers a strong focus on women and BIPOC composers, including works by more than 40 women and the world premiere of a new solo piano work from critically acclaimed composer Sean Opebolo, commissioned by Newport Classical. According to Opebolo, his new work looks to explore the long history of Black music, not only in America, but in Newport specifically. In this conversation, I speak with both Jillian and Sean about what's in store for Newport audiences this summer. Jillian talks about what inspires her artistic leadership, how Newport's history and architecture inform the festival's programming, and she offers her recommendations for the best places to eat and drink in New York and Newport. Then we talk to Sean about how he approached his Newport Classical Commission and what he hopes audiences take away from the new work. My name is Jillian Friedman Fox. I am the executive director of Newport Classical, and I am an avid scuba diver. Um, I've been patty trained since I was 13. Um, and my most recent adventurous dive was in Eos, Greece. I think inspiration for music comes from all aspects of life. I think for me, um, the um, state of society and the state of where we are in the world um, with social situations and health and politics um, certainly inspires and um, informs what we do as musicians and as curators. Um, but also, uh, I, I take a lot of inspiration from the other performing arts, um, and from visual art for, for that matter. And the ways in which music interacts with really all aspects of life. And as an arts leader in historic New England town of Newport, how has the local culture influenced you and your approach to programming? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I um, moved here a year and a half ago from Dallas, Texas, um, but I, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I grew up in uh, in Homedale, New Jersey. And so um, there's a, a certain amount of coming home uh, and being 
in in Rhode Island and a part that Rhode Island is incredibly unique and Newport is incredibly unique unto Rhode Island. Um, and so I think I think I'm still learning about the ways in which New England um, in New England patrons really like to engage with the arts. Um, but I think for Newport in particular, um, people just want a really unique experience. I think that um, for uh, the Newport Classical and Newport Classical Music Festival in particular, people are looking for a classical music and arts experience that you just can't find anywhere else. And, and Newport is very quintessential, and I think New England plays a big role. How does the coastal and historic setting impact artistic planning? It's kind of a spin on the last question, but maybe a little bit more specific. Specifically, I guess, with the, the coastal um, environment and, and culture, because I know that whole yachting world is incredible. I personally love Newport, so I, I know this you know, very well. I just love it there. And, um, and I love Nantucket, and you know, we always drive up that, the coast um, to go to Nantucket every year. So I'm very much familiar with that culture. So I'm curious, from your perspective, um, how does that kind of gorgeous setting and very almost bougie, if you will, um, influences the um, artistic uh, planning side? Absolutely. So in, in a couple of ways, I think that sailing and the water is a huge part of our experience, really wanting to make sure that we're not keeping people inside for their entire concert experience. And, um, you know, whether that's um, an intermission at the breakers on their back patio, looking over the cliff walk and, you know, the gorgeous ocean timed right as the sun sets, you know, or the fact that we have sunrise concerts at the Marble House's uh, Chinese tea house that are um, at 5.15 in the morning. Um, and the concert is situated such that you see the sunrise through the windows of the tea house over the ocean. Um, and we have a concert at Norman Bird Sanctuary in the morning as well. That one's at a more reasonable nine o'clock. And <laughs> really taking advantage of both the natural beauty here in Newport, as well as um, the incredible historic architecture. Um, you know, the Newport mansions um, play a huge role in our identity and a huge role in our artistic planning process. Um, we are incredibly thoughtful about our artist selections and our repertoire selections, given the venue that that concert is going to be at. So we, we think a lot about kind of matchmaking between an artist and repertoire and venue. Um, each venue has its own acoustic challenges, has its own um, accessibility challenges, and knowing those allows us to think about who is this audience and who is going to really um, benefit and engage in that um, in that venue, um, a really good example. Um, we had a happy accident last year um, due to the other element of being in New England, which is the completely unpredictable summer weather. Um, you know, eighty percent of the time it is gorgeous and you know sunny and breezy, and twenty percent of the time there's a hurricane. So <laughs> um, last summer we had Hurricane Henri. Um, which came through on the busiest day of the festival. Um, it was the one day that we had three concerts in one day. We had a sunrise at 5.15. We had a two o'clock concert that was going to be a free concert for the community with Third Coast Percussion, completely outdoors, and then Harlem Quartet in the evening. And uh, 
Hurricane Henri, I don't know if you remember it. It was it was brutal. It was it was pain winds. It yeah. was like 60 mile an hour winds and just torrential downpour. And so we had flooding issues. We had um but and on top of like all the weather, we were trying to move four marimbas in the rain. Um and so the happy accident was we basically said, and I had made a promise to myself at the beginning of the festival, I said, after we canceled co- because of COVID in 2020, I will not cancel, call, cancel a concert in 2021. Come hell or high water, I'll move it. I will relocate a concert, which we had to do several times, but I will not cancel. And I called my incredible friend and mentor, Ruth Taylor at the Newport Historical Society at like six in the morning. And I said, can you, can someone show up to the great friends meeting house with a set of keys and let us in? We're getting drenched. And she was like, okay, someone will meet you there in an hour. And we relocated the entire concert into the great friends meeting house, which is the oldest, it's a colony house that um, was the first Quaker um, meeting house. Um, Super rustic, really cool architecture, but I mean, there's nothing in there. It's just kind of this vacant space. And we spent hours moving in all the percussion instruments, like trying to figure out how we can do seating and just kind of winging it. And it wound up being one of the coolest concerts that we had last summer and um, decided we're going to, that's going to be where we do percussion music from now on. So this coming summer, So Percussion um, is coming and they're going to be doing Bryce Desner's new piece. Um, and that'll be intentionally from the beginning now in that space because we now know what the acoustics are and what a cool, you know, what is really an acoustic experience for percussion in that space. So a lot of it is the history um, and really matchmaking um, with our incredible venues and also taking advantage of the natural beauty um, and also giving people time to explore. You know, I know some people think festival and maybe they think like music from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, but our experience is really, um, you know, 24 individual concert experiences over the course of 17 days. And so it's usually one or two concerts a day giving you time to go to the beach, to um, go sailing, to go out for an incredible dinner and explore Thames or Broadway. Um, so it gives you that opportunity to have music be a really big pillar of your summer experience here, but not the only part of your experience. I love that. I, I think it's a fantastic way to uh, have a summer in July, right? <laughs> it's Absolutely. A, it sounds really incredible. And we, we do 4th of July here. We do at, at King Park, um, which is over um, right off Thames um, and has just the perfect view of Pell Bridge and the ocean. And we always do a brass um, you know, a patriotic concert there for free, which is really fun. Describe a routine you have in place that helps you live a healthier life. I, uh, well, I'm a Peloton fanatic and one that started pre-pandemic, though I do need to be better about it recently. Um, But I think for me, it's kind of my bedtime routine that I think is my routine that is 
the thing that really helped set me up for the next day. Um, I'm definitely a workaholic. <laughs> um, and so I, I think I said too much of my days or maybe just the right amount, but um, with work. But every night I set a cutoff for myself after which I do not check email and I put my phone down and I can just be really present with my husband and um, a dog and we usually watch some of our favorite shows. Um, but I also uh, always end the night with tea. I'm a big tea drinker and I feel like it's just like this really nice ritual that helps me like shut my mind off and get really good sleep. Is there a particular tea you like? I do. Um, I drink lavender, lavender chamomile um, typically at night before bed. Uh, it's a loose leaf that I have found that I, I really like. Um, but recently I've been getting more into like peppermint blends. Hmm. Nice. How about energy specifically? Is there something that you can point to uh, that keeps you creating? It keeps you, um, uh, you know, being, uh, I, I guess, a sane artistic leader uh, or a leader in the arts, because I know there can be a lot of chaos when you're trying to run an arts organization. Um, so is there a, a, a specific thing you can point to for energy? Mm. Uh, well, I think I get my energy from the chaos. Um, I think I have a unique skill set that um, works with festival type structures. Um, in Dallas, I ran the Saluna Festival. Um, so there's some kind of masochistic craziness that I just, I like insane. Like I just thrive, I think in, in the kind of crazy chaotic. Um, but I think I get a lot of my energy from my colleagues in the arts. I love talking about music and I, I really love engaging with other creatives and hearing who they're excited about. And I, I try to really make a point to always have like non-work check-ins with my colleagues who are other presenters or other arts executives. I find it really rejuvenating. But when I really need just a break and need to get energy, I get it from, I go usually, well, and it's great being here in Newport. I'll go to the ocean. Um, it's really easy to do. <laughs> um, from our office, I can, you know, walk down and uh, there's a great marina just down the street from our office. Um, but if I want to go to the beach, it's a two minute drive. So uh, it's really nice to just kind of sit there for, you know, 15, 20 minutes and just kind of take in the sound of the water. It's always really calm me. I love that. <laughs> and what a lucky place to have a, uh, a, an office right near the ocean. It's so nice. It's true. Uh, being in Dallas, that was definitely the hardest thing about Dallas is being totally landlocked. Um, versus, you know, when you're in New York City, you know, the ocean's always somewhere nearby growing up in New Jersey near the beach. Um, it's kind of my happy place. What is one specific product you highly recommend? And it can be anything, skincare, food, tech, wine, you name it. Okay, so pretty much anything out of the Trader Joe's frozen food section. Um, this is, I just, because my husband and I both work a lot, um, but we both really like to eat and eat well. And so the, like our freezer is just stocked with our favorites. And I will say my, our new recent favorites are the Japanese fried rice, which if you haven't tried it, it's excellent. Um, and it has edamame in it and seaweed and it's like better than takeout. 
and um, they have a frozen quinoa veggie medley. That's like our standard go-to. And then we'll just like make a protein and salad. So, and I, I will say um, in Dallas, we had like four different Trader Joe's locations, each, you know, a 10 minute drive, depending on like which direction you wanted to go. Here, we are such Trader Joe's uh, loyalists that uh, we drive 35 minutes and two bridges each way <laughs> to get to our Trader Joe's. And we do it every week. What restaurant or bar do you love to eat at when you're in New York City? Mm, so I think... My favorite restaurant is there is this adorable Italian place on 21st and, oh gosh, uh, 21st and 5th um, called Zero Otto Nove. And it is just the most charming Italian restaurant. And the service is incredible. And they have this appetizer that is polenta and meatballs with like feta cheese. And it is so delicious and craveable and I always want it when I'm not in New York and um but my when I lived in New York my girlfriends and I would go every week we just had like a standing date and we'd have the same server and um yeah I always I always think about that place and um my favorite bagel shop which is pick a bagel on 8th um, near Columbus Circle and when I worked over at Columbus Circle that was my morning tradition was that I would uh, stop there on the subway on my way to work and get an egg bagel with cream cheese. Newport has a lot of great restaurants for after concert, like post, you know, to get grab a an appetizer, light bites, and a cocktail. Fame Street Kitchen, um, they have the most incredible steak tartare with this whole grain mustard. Um, that's really excellent, like a really bold, punchy flavor. Um, and they have like a whole bunch of champagne cocktails that are delicious. And um, for a date night, um, my husband and I always go to Giusto, which is at Hammett's Wharf. And it's tapas style Italian food. And they have a chef's tasting menu that is like nine courses for 55 bucks. And it's outrageous. Some of the best food I've ever had. Really great seafood. And they have Lambrusco. By the glass, which is pretty hard to find, at least oh, here it is. Um, so that's definitely worth going, and you have to make a reservation. Really hard to get in. And um, Stoneacre, Stoneacre uh, Garden in particular, there's Stoneacre Garden and Brasserie, awesome ambiance, super fun to like bring out of town guests, um, and great, great views of the marina. Let's take a quick break. Did you know Classical Post is a brand built for your pleasure by Gold Sound Media, a New York creative studio developing content for music lovers around the United States. We're always looking for new opportunities to partner with music presenters, artists, and record labels. If you're interested in content to build your community, please get in touch. Head to goldsoundmedia.com. Now, back to the show.
do you have any exciting plans to share for this particular summer? There are a bunch of, of really great highlights. So I would say we have um, 24 concerts at 11 venues, um, and that features 32 guest artists and ensembles. We are opening the festival with Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, with Chad Hoops soloing, um, doing uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Um, a really celebratory way to open the festival and return back to the breakers for the first time since 2019. Um, just a pretty big deal for us. Um, other highlights include Junction Trio, Spectral Quartet. Um, we have uh, an opera night in which we're doing La Boheme in concert. Um, we have a closing night with Marc-Andre Hamlin and Johannes Mosier. Um, there's definitely a strong focus on female composers this summer with over 40 individual female composers featured over the course of the summer, um, which I'm personally really passionate about and excited to introduce um, some composers that people may have never heard before, um, such as, you know, of course, Fanny Mendelssohn and Clara Schumann, but Cécile Chaminade and Nadia Boulanger. And um, there's just, there's a lot. And as well as um, living composers, you have Julia Wolf, um, Eliza Brown, there's, there's a lot of exciting highlighting of female composers. And um, I'm really excited that we're gonna be continuing our commissioning initiative, which we launched last year. This year, Newport Classical commissioned composer, Sean Opebolo. It's such an outsized, unique story that I had to speak with Sean directly about it. So. Here's our conversation for the remainder of the podcast. My name is Sean Opebolo, and I'm a composer. Um, I was commissioned by Newport Classical to compose a piece uh, for the festival this year. So Crooked Shanks is the work, and I'm really curious to hear the backstory because I was reading about it, and uh, I know our listeners would really love to know the, the full story because it's really uh, significant. I only had one parameter for this uh, composition, and that uh, was to do a piece that reflects uh, the region of, New of Newport, Rhode Island. I don't know much about that region, so I went to Google and I, um, uh, you know, searched, you know, a lot of the history of the region. But then I, I decided to, to, you know, research Black music of that region. Um, I didn't know if there was any, if there was any Black music of that region, but, uh, uh, but I came across this, uh, this interesting person named uh, Omar, uh, a Kramer Mariku, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correct, but he was an enslaved African and a composer and is credited for having, uh, being the first black person to have a piece published in the Western style. So I was like, this is, this is fascinating. And so um, I did a lot of research on him and um, uh, um, his enslaver changed his name to Newport Gardner uh, and his life was just very interesting because not only was he a classical composer, um, uh, he spoke many languages. Uh, he actually bought his freedom um, through a lottery. Um, and, uh, and he was one of the, I guess, relatively few enslaved Africans who went back to Africa to spend his last days. Uh, but, but so it was a very fascinating figure. I should say um, the piece that was published was called Cricket Shanks, which sounds like a little... Irish ditty almost. Uh, uh, that, that piece doesn't sound like that, uh, but but uh, but I thought it was a very charming melody that I can somehow incorporate in this work. It's such a really uh, you know a, 
a cool story because you don't hear stories like that often. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a very unique um, thing that that you found in terms of now we talked about Newport Gardner and, and the work itself, but how are you framing this, I guess, this story, his story um, and and the new work that you wrote, Crooked Shanks, in the broader cultural context today? Because obviously there's a lot happening socially right now. So mm-hmm. how are you in your own mind and, and your goals, shall we say, um, framing this um, in the broader cultural context? Yeah. Since George Floyd, the whole nation is, I think and I hope, is being more intentional with being more equitable and inclusive um, in all areas of society. In music, in classical music in particular, whether it's, you know, opera or symphonic works, chamber works, there's been an intentional push to diversify programming. And I'm here for it. I love it. I'm, I'm hoping now that the pandemic is kind of waning a little bit, that like uh, it would still, this passion for Black music uh, um, really continues. The notion that we have Black Lives Matter, but... Um, but I, my, my, well, but one of my friends, I think he was credited with this with this phrase, um, um, "Black music matters." I want this piece to to fit in that framework, you know, not not black music uh, in the twenty first century, right? Uh, but there's a history of black composers, even classical composers, even in this time of of slavery, um, and they matter too. Um, and so I hope this piece um, not only bring you know, some interesting historical awareness to this man, Newport Gardner, and also in the region of Newport, um, but also uh, the uh, the notion that, again, Black music matters, and it's not a, Black classical music matters, and it's not a new thing. It's been going on since this nation was, was created. We are part of the musical heritage in America. Thanks for listening to the Classical Post podcast. I hope you have found it meaningful and that it gave you new ideas to cultivate your creativity to be better in business and life. So let's stay in touch. Remember to follow this podcast to get notified of new episodes and sign up for our monthly newsletter for album recommendations and editorial on leading artists. Just head to classicalpost.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.